0: As we continue our sermon series on God on trial, kind of looking at God and his people on trial, the accusation that we want to take a look at today, as I mentioned before, are this, is this. And, and you've probably heard this before, right? And I, Christians are angry and argumentative. And immediately we say, No, we're not! Who said that? <laughs> there is something about a good comeback, Right? If someone says something that is meant to belittle or to accuse or attack, and then their target turns it around with a great comeback that's quick and witty, maybe disproves that or roasts that person, or better yet, both at the same time, we kind of appreciate that, don't we? Good comeback is nice. I know I appreciate a good comeback probably because I'm not very good at them. And I'm just going to give you a quick example. When we first moved here, um, the first time we went up to Estes Park, we had our first elk sighting, and it was, it was really exciting for us. Uh, they were actually out on the golf course there as you come into town, and so we were very touristy about it. We parked in the parking ramp, and we walked along the path, and we were trying to get these pictures. And we were really excited, but uh, as we were oohing and a a local rode his bike by us and said, They're just elk. Nobody cares. Well, in my excitement, I was, I was hurt. I felt very dissed. I felt very belittled, and I got angry, and I wanted to show him. And so I quickly yelled back, well, nobody cares about your bike either. <laughs> and that's what happened. There was a couple of seconds, and my family just started laughing, and like, great comeback, Dad. So that comes up all the time. That's why I probably appreciate a good comeback. I feel like that's what this accusation is, is really all about. Because I think even as, as Christians, we appreciate a good comeback, and it's easy to see why. There's no doubt that we feel sometimes our God is attacked, our, our faith is attacked, God's people are accused, and so what do we feel? We, we feel this pressure building up. We feel dissed. We feel angered. And so sometimes... We feel like we have to respond in anger and, and arguments. And, and if you don't believe me, if, if you are offended by this, just relax. Have you ever been in a heated religious discussion? Okay, or if you, have you ever seen, maybe on your social media, a Christian pop into the comments section or the chat group? Or, this, this one kind of gets me because I feel defensive about our, our town. Have you ever heard Christians outside of our town ever talk about our sometimes-not-so-friendly-to-Christian town of Boulder. It's sometimes it's, it's angry and it's argumentative, isn't it? And to be honest, I do that too, and I think, I think you do too. And so sometimes the, the accusation sticks to us. So what I want to do today is I want to just explore this. How is it true of us, but then more so, how can we show love for God and his word and his people and and defend, but also show love for the people attacking? And and the real goal is this. How can we respond in a way that leads people to see Jesus' love and not our anger? So let's turn our attention back to that that passion reading. We we discover the disciples in a very... Similar situation, but with them, the attacks are not verbal. It's actually personal. It's physical. Right? It's personal. It's physical. Um, Last week, we saw Jesus in the upper room. That's where our reading picked up this week. He's in the upper room, and then after that, he, he leads his disciples to this place of prayer, a place they'd gone many times, the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read what happened there. This whole detachment of soldiers is present. They are guided by uh, the Jewish leaders, and they are led by Judas himself, a disciple of Jesus. And so I just want you to try to be there and just, just imagine the scene because you've got two groups going. On the one side, you have men with weapons that are meant to hurt and to kill. And these men have hearts that are intent on wiping Jesus and his followers from history. That's what they wanted. But then on the other side, who are they attacking? It's Jesus, but Jesus is surrounded by these men who didn't even like to hear about this event. Jesus had told them, I'm going to be arrested and I'm I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And they said no, and they rebuked Jesus. Just hours before, these same men vowed that they would never just leave Jesus undefended. And also Peter, just to, and a few of them, he vowed that he would even go to death if that's what it took. So how do you think this attack was going to turn out? Well, you, you're right, and, and, and we read it, right? G, uh, Peter just barely missed a fatal blow and a bloody ear fell to the ground. Peter turned into the attacker. He was attacked and he turned into the attacker. Now I want you to imagine Jesus in the middle of all of this. At first we might think maybe Jesus was wrong about these guys. He said they were going to fall away. Maybe he should be proud of these guys for defending him. And maybe Jesus should join in. I mean, there's plenty of options open to Jesus. right? With just a word, he could call down a legion of angels we heard. He already said three little words and they fell flat on their faces. I am he. Boom. One more word. Jesus could have ended all of this. But that's not what happened, is it? How did Jesus react? First, he looked at Peter, who's got blood on his sword, and he says, no more of this. And then he turned to the man who's bleeding from his head, the one who came to attack and to arrest him, and he healed him. Jesus showed restraint. Perfect Holy restraint. And restraint, I guess, is what I want to focus on in connection with that accusation that Christians are angry and argumentative. If you think about restraint, restraint is, is holding back. It's self-control. And it's especially, especially self-control in circumstances where you feel something has wronged you, someone has wronged you. So uh, it's self-control when you feel that you are attacked, and especially in this situation where we feel maybe our God is attacked and his word is attacked and his people are attacked. And so when you think about restraint, restraint is typically not our first gut reaction, right? It's not our first uh, inclination. It's hard. And we can kind of justify it a little bit, and, and there's, there's truth to it, because we do love our God, and we do love his word, and we do love his people, but sometimes restraint is hard because of something deeper, and I think it's this. Sometimes we're just thinking of ourselves, too, and I really think that's what it was about for Peter. How did this thing hurt me? How is this going to affect my life, and, and it becomes about our own pride, our own dignity, our own sense of justice. We feel like we are attacked and we are on trial and so we get defensive. I think that's what happened with Peter. And I don't think any of us have ever pulled out a sword and started whacking away. But have we ever lashed out with our tongues? Have we ever sent off a fiery email or text we ever given a deadly glare? Get really angry? Do we ever feel like we have to become the attacker? That's what happened in the garden, and, and that's often what happens with us. And, and when that happens, what does Jesus say? No more of this. No more of this. But then what does he do? He heals. How can Jesus heal? How can he show restraint when really he's the one being attacked? It's because he's the opposite of Peter and us. He's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of others. Even in this moment where he is being attacked, he's thinking of others. First of all, He sees this man in front of him, bleeding, and he doesn't see him as his enemy who came to attack him. He sees a man with a soul and with a name. This just dawned on me this week when I was studying for this, but Melchis's name is mentioned in every one of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels. Why is it that important? I think it's saying this man was important to Jesus. His soul. So he was thinking of of him. But Jesus wasn't just thinking of, of Malchus. He was thinking of you. And he was thinking of me. Have you ever thought about this? That your salvation actually begins right here with Jesus' restraint. Willingly giving himself to this. Jesus' restraint leads to our salvation. Really, isn't that the theme from here on out? He's the perfect Lamb of God in the garden, never opening his mouth to hurt, never raising his arms and and hands to to harm, but willingly submitting to this. And then, as we're going to see in next week's reading, he starts to go on trial, first before the, the high priest and then before Pilate and before Herod. And when he's on trial, you talk about attacks He's humiliated. He's ridiculed. He's, he's slapped. He's punched. He's, he's spit on. Yet he never loses his temper. He never lashes out. He never calls down curses from heaven. And then eventually, where all this is going to the cross, even there he showed perfect loving restraint. As he's being nailed to the cross, Father, forgive them. Jesus' restraint leads to our salvation. We needed Jesus to love perfectly because he's our substitute and that perfect love becomes ours through faith, right? That's how God sees us now, perfect. We needed Jesus to perfectly submit himself to the Father's will that took him to the cross because it was there as, we, as the children so beautifully reminded us. That's where he forg- won our forgiveness of sins. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and after the cross, then, he goes to the to the empty tomb, and that's where we have our victory. So this restraint is really leading to our salvation. It's a beautiful thing to see. But there's a second point to it, too. Jesus' restraint can be our motivating example. We live in this world where a quick, Comeback where this zinger response, this demeaning answer is applauded. And it's used often and and it can rub off on us too, can it? When we feel attacked for our faith, when it feels like our God is being attacked and His Word is being attacked, there is a temptation to cross the line like Peter, right? We begin to think that if we don't respond with the same venom, then nobody's going to listen to us. We start to get this idea that that thinking of that other person becomes less important than being heard. We love being right more than rightly loving others at times. And so what if we did something different? And I know you're just kind of soaking this in, so as you think about that, let me just tell you, I get it, okay? Okay. It's okay to love God and his word and his people and be a little offended by it. It's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. But what if we look at it a little bit differently than having to be the atta- become the attacker? There's a, a famous preacher, and I'm sure you've heard this saying at one time in your life or another, if you've been in church very often or, or very long. A famous preacher once said, I view God and his word like a lion. How do you defend a lion? Well, that's absurd, right? Whoever thought of, of whoever thought of defending a lion, you just let the lion loose, right? And it defends itself. I think that's a, a neat way to picture God and his word. Just like Peter in the garden, sometimes we forget who we are and we forget who Jesus is, right? Jesus is so much more powerful and capable than, than we are. And his word is so much more powerful than anything we can come back with. And so, sometimes it's just letting that lion loose. Letting God's word work. Just imagine the impact that maybe we can have in our overcharged world if we let Jesus' restraint come through in us. Because we know Jesus. We know the restraint he showed that led him all the way to the cross for our forgiveness. We know that Jesus is in control of all things. And so that means that, that we can be different. Right? We can use his words to help and to heal instead of inflame and destroy. We can think of the hurt that that person is feeling, even as they're bringing attacks. Because so often, maybe you've heard this saying too, it's hurt people who hurt people. So we can think of their hurt instead of the think of the hurt that they're trying to inflict. And we can respond graciously instead of impulsively when we're provoked. After all, the Bible says, I never read in the Bible where it says, I am not ashamed of the perfect logical argument that proves somebody wrong because that's the power of salvation. I never heard that passage. And I never heard the, the Bible passage that said, I'm not afraid of the perfect uh, apologetics answer that, that, that shames somebody else and proves them wrong because that's the power of, the go- of salvation. And no, what is it? It's I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus. That's the power of salvation. And here's why it's so powerful. Think of Malchus again. We're not told, but I wonder how Malchus felt toward Jesus after this incident. Everybody else was attacking in anger and Jesus heals. I don't know if this is the greatest example, but I I wanted to make this real. And so I thought of trying to think of something that happened in my ministry where maybe this happened. This is the closest I can come up with, so I'm going to share it. Um, uh, one, I had a, a funeral for a lady one time, and she was a a longtime member. Uh, she was an elderly lady who was homebound, and I had visited her for a few years. Um, so when she passed away, uh, I'm at the funeral, ready to do my message. And little back backstory to all this: the the family was kind of divided. So they, they were not on good speaking terms. So you've got part of the family over here and you've got part of the family over here. And I really think it had to do with inheritance and that's an awful thing. I hate it when that happens. I'm starting to do my message and one lady gets up and comes to the casket and makes a big scene crying and weeping and trying to show just how sorrowful she was. And then that didn't go well with a lady over on this side. And so she got up and cried even louder. And then the whole family started fighting. And I'm, it sounds like a joke, but it, it looked like the Jerry Springer show after a while at this funeral. And the funeral director came flying in and is yelling. Everybody is yelling and attacking. I didn't know what to do. And so I just started with the two ladies up here. And I just kind of put my arms around them and said, I know, I know. You loved her so much. I loved her too. But you know who loves her more? Jesus, can we just talk about Jesus? And eventually, the Springer show stopped and we got to do the, the funeral. It was the strangest funeral I've ever been at. But th- that's what I thought of. Like, in all this attacking, what, what stopped it? It was restraint. Talking about Jesus' love. I don't know. I think sometimes we can be angry and argumentative. Sometimes that the accusation sticks, right? But we have a remedy we can look to Jesus' restraint. We can remember who God is and we can remember who we are when we are attacked. God has declared us to be righteous and forgiven. We don't have anything to prove to anybody. Right? God's plan will always prevail. We don't have to be in control. God has filled us with his spirit. We're not alone in those situations. We can be a light when there's darkness. So instead of fighting back and attacking, let the good news of Jesus loose. Let it go to work on hearts. And who knows, maybe through that really strange behavior of restraining ourselves and sharing Jesus' love, other people will come to know Jesus' love too. God's blessings as you bask in Jesus' restraint that led to your salvation and then as you show that restraint and love so others can see Jesus. Amen.